Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Our text is going to be Acts 15, 36 through 16, 10. He guides me. Hold a finger in that text because I'm going to take you to a classic psalm in Psalm 23. As we begin in that psalm, Psalm 23, the message is, He guides me. And this is really going to be this morning all about how God guides our lives. But there's a two way relationship. I think we all know it. God guides, but we need to follow. And Jesus said, My sheep know my voice and they follow me. So Jesus, when He came uh, on the earth and He began His public ministry, He said, Follow me. Follow me. When He came to the uh, rich young ruler, Because he had many possessions, Jesus said, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and follow me, you'll have treasures in heaven. But the man's face sunk because he had great wealth, and the implication there is that he walked away. And so there is a choice that we have to follow, to be sensitive to God's voice. God does guide, but we need to follow. Psalm 23, the famous words of David, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I can't tell you how many times I have opened to Psalm 23 at a memorial service or a funeral, and I've said to people, you can claim the rest of this psalm if you can claim the first part of verse 1. Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Until he is your shepherd, the rest of the psalm does not belong to you. And I'll say that to a group sometimes that's mixed, where I know there's a lot of unbelievers, and I'll say to them, if you want to be able to claim the rest of Psalm 23... You have to be able to say, he's my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He leads his sheep, and they follow him. Now, sheep are prone to wander, as the old (laughs) hymn says, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he word, leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And here's the... The title for today, He Guides Me, I want you to notice where He guides, in the paths of righteousness, that is going the right way, living right, why does He do it? He does it for His namesake. Another way to say it is He does it for His glory. The reason that He wants you to walk the right way, to live the right way, is that He might be glorified in your life. He guides, we follow. That's what life is really all about in Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the group of precious people that have come to this place today to worship you in spirit and in truth, to minister to you, to bless your name, and I know that you will minister to us and we are ready to receive so many principles, so many questions about the guidance of God. And Lord, we want to be tuned in to hear what you have to say today. So please guide us by your spirit. Often we read in the book of Revelation that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And the word hearing there doesn't just simply mean hear, it means to hear and follow. So Father, help us to follow you and to know that you want to guide us. And what beautiful language here, to green pastures and quiet waters and correct paths. That's what we want. So help us, Lord, as we navigate through this text to hear what you have to say and to respond to it for your glory. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now, as you turn to Acts 15, we're going to conclude the end of Acts 15 and move into 16. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you several principles about the guidance of God. I want to start with some basic principles 
because I know we all wrestle with this question about God's guidance, and let me start with some basics. First of all, if you're wondering about something, what you should do in a given situation, you always start with the Bible. Always. Because if you are contemplating something and there's a clear Bible verse that tells you this is what God wants and you're saying, no, I think he's telling me to go the other way, then you just simply ate a taco too late at night. That's not the voice of God. That's what I'm saying, okay? That's not God speaking to you. And God is not speaking to you when you interview 10 people, nine have told you, no, that's not what you should do, and you keep going until you get somebody to tell you what you want to hear. That's not the guidance of God. So first you've got to start with the Bible. God will never contradict his word. So if there's a clear passage in there about something that God wants and you're trying to do the opposite, then the word of God settles it. That's the end of the discussion. There is no more discussion. And if you want to go against God's word, good luck. But in the end, he's going to bring you back around. So that's number one. Number two, obviously prayer is important. And I would just say solo prayer. I would get other people praying for you if you're going through a situation where you're trying to understand where God wants you to go. Not only pray yourself, get other people to pray for you. And ask them, what are you sensing from the Lord? Please lift this up. Now, prayer can be very subjective, we know. We don't always interpret things the right way, but multiple people in prayer is a good thing. And then I would say the third thing, the Bible, prayer. The third thing is get counsel, but not just counsel. Get godly counsel. Don't go to your unbelieving friends and say, what do you think I should do? Well, I saw this Oprah the other day, and you know, I'm really thinking, and then Jay Leno kind of confirmed it in his late night. Whoa, wait a minute. Get godly counsel. Don't look for people who just will tell you what you want to hear. Or don't go to multiple people until you hear what you want to hear. It's like the guy who's got a problem with eating donuts and he, you know, he pulls into this open parking spot and he says, it must have been the Lord. There was an open parking spot right in front of the donut shop after I drove around for 45 minutes looking. (laughs) No, that wasn't the Lord. That was you forcing your way into what you want. That's not the voice of God. So God will guide us through various things, and he will also guide us circumstantially, and that's some of what we're going to talk about today. I was reading back in the book of Genesis, and there was a story about the servant of um, Abraham, and he was going to go find a wife for Isaac, and he ends up finding Rebecca. And that's a whole circumstantial case. You can read it in Genesis 24, especially look at verses 27 and 48, where the servant basically says, if this happens, I'll know this is the girl. And when it happens, and it was very just simple, everyday kind of stuff, he knew it was her. The Lord gave confirmation through very simple um, kind of life steps. So let's look now. We're in Acts 15, and let's look at verse 36 together. He guides me. And we're going to start with right after the Jerusalem Council, the decision that the gospel is a gospel of grace. They went back. They reported all that had happened. It seemed good. Verse 34 to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas, uh, this is verse 35, stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And after some days or some time later, the NIV says, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. And see how they're doing. Jim, if you don't mind, if you can throw the map up. I'm going to have the map of the second missionary journey Uh, For you just to have uh, as a reference, I will say this to you. This is a major marker in our Bible. This is the beginning of the second missionary journey of Paul. 
So just, this is where the text is transitioning. It says, some days later, Paul had this idea, and here was his idea. Let us return, and let's visit the brethren, or the church, in every city where we preach the gospel, simply put. And Paul said, I want to see how they're doing. I want to see how they are. The word visit is a form of the word episcope. It's where we get the idea of pastoral oversight. Episcopos is the idea of the overseer or the elder. It's used of visiting the sick and looking after widows and orphans. And Paul said, look, I think this is a good idea. We've planted all these churches, but I'm not just concerned about converts. I want to make disciples. I want to see if the church is healthy. I want to see if this false teaching of the Judaizing heresy that people got to be circumcised to be saved is floating around there. I want to put strong leaders in place. I want to make sure the church is healthy. Let's go, Barnabas. Let's go. And this was this is obviously a very important insight into Paul. He, he wanted to make sure he made disciples and not simply converts. But what we're going to see is God is going to redirect his plans. As he begins uh, from the Jerusalem Council back into Syria and Antioch, he's going to go to Asia Minor, and then he's going to end up, the second missionary journey ends up in Europe. It is a redirect by God. Paul was planning on just visiting churches already established in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. But Paul's going to move across the Aegean Sea, and he's going to move into Europe. G. Campbell Morgan comments. He says, The invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but it was evidently in the mind of the Spirit. Europe became the first Christian continent and was until fairly recent times the main base for missionary outreach to the rest of the world. We can see the epic-making development that this was, close quote. In this particular scene, we're going to see the gospel move out into Europe, and you know, if you studied any history of the church, that Europe became a continent dominated by the Christian gospel, and that is really how the Christian gospel got to the United States, was through the efforts of the Apostle Paul and his team as he moves through this journey. And Barnabas who was Paul's missionary partner at the time, was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Barnabas said, great idea, Paul. Yeah, let's see how the brothers are doing. That's a great idea. Let's visit everybody and strengthen them. I'll tell you what, let's bring Mark along. And Paul kept insisting, no, no. He bailed. He split on the work. He is not dependable. Last time, we were just about to turn a corner in the mission, and he went home with his tail between his legs. He is not reliable. We're not taking him. Now, Barnabas, we find out from Colossians 4, verse 10, was the cousin of Mark. Sometimes when it comes to family, we can be you know, a little bit more sensitive, but let's face it, Barnabas is an encourager. He is always looking for the best in people. And Mark may have said to his cousin Barnabas, I want a second chance. I'm sorry I disappointed you guys. I want to go. You guys are going to go back and visit these churches. I want to make things right. And, and Barnabas said, cool, let's do that. And Paul said, no. I insist that he not go. And this is a classic case where, you know, you could read gobs of material on it. Let me simplify it for you. Scholars don't really know who was right and who was wrong. But we can say this, verse 40 seems to indicate that the church sided with Paul, and maybe that's where we should leave it. But I'm not sure that anybody was really right, because it's the old uh, uh, struggle between do we give the benefit of the doubt to a person who failed? Is the work the most important thing? Should we, is the person the most important thing? And those can be difficult questions. 
Is this guy going to leave us again? Has he, has he started a pattern in his life where, you know what, we can't bring him along because he's going to be a distraction. This is important work. And so Paul kept saying no. And Barnabas kept saying we need to take him. And they disagreed. And I want to say that this is a point, uh, moving from the general now to the more specific. God can and does guide us through conflict. God can and does guide us through conflict. One thing to note here is that the Bible does not hide the fact that they had conflict over it. Paul kept insisting, I don't want to take him along. He is not reliable. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. I would imagine that these two men never could have dreamed that they would have done ministry without each other. I mean, Barnabas was such an important man in Paul's life. Barnabas was the guy, when everybody else doubted Paul, who was Saul at the time, he said, no, he's legitimate. He's been converted and introduced him to the apostles who had great doubts about Saul. It was Barnabas who, when stuff was happening in Antioch, went and got Saul and said, I know the, the perfect guy for the job, and brought him into ministry, and Saul's ministry began to blossom at that time. It was Barnabas who saw the best in Saul, and he continues to be that kind of guy. And how can you fault somebody like that? A guy who sees the best in people. You may be a little bit more cynical about people. There may be other people who are always telling you, give him a break. Give him the benefit of the doubt. And there's probably wisdom and balance on both sides. Sometimes we give people too many chances and we need to let them go out on their own and figure it out. And sometimes we maybe, you know, someone fails one time and that's it. And so back and forth they went. Paul had serious doubts and they had a sharp disagreement. The language here is where we get the English word paroxysm. The Greek word is paroxysmos. And it means to have a heated debate with violent emotion. This may shock you, but these two men apparently were screaming at each other over a family member. I know that this has never happened to any of you, that you disagree about a family member and how to approach that family member. Should we give them a break? Give them another chance? No, we need to do this. And it got so heated that the two men yelled, apparently, screamed at each other, and left each other. I'm out of here. I'm taking him. Good go. I'm taking him. Good go. See you later. And I tell you what, this gives me great hope. (laughs) Let's be real. How many days have you had situations where you have a blow up with somebody or something happens in the household or on the 91 freeway in your car? If your window was open, everybody would have heard what you have said to that driver. And then you look at yourself and you say, how could the Lord ever use somebody like me? Look at what I just did. The truth of the matter is, these two guys were men. Don't get any delusions of grandeur that they were angels or little gods. They were two guys, very passionate men, and they weren't always perfect. And if you read about leaders in church history, you'll know that some of the leaders that God used greatly were difficult people. They didn't always walk around with a ah, halo over the head. Oh, that's just fine. Come over, brother. Let me pray for you. No, no, no. Sometimes they had bad hair days and hair weeks. But God knows who we are. He knows our frame, that we are dust, right? 
And still, he's gracious to us. That's the awesome truth about God. And so these two men disagreed, and they split from each other. And I will give you 1 Corinthians 9.6 indicates that Paul and Barnabas did some future ministry together. Just write that down. But I will tell you this, that Barnabas' decision to split from Paul over Mark, he disappears from the pages of the book of Acts for the rest of the book. We never hear about Barnabas again. Doesn't mean he didn't go to fruitful ministry. And we do know that his tutelage of Mark brought Mark back around. And Mark did become useful again to the Apostle Paul. Mark wrote, wrote one of the Gospels. And Mark was present in the ministry of Peter as well, as we see in First Peter, I think it's chapter 5. So we do know that God worked it all out together. But Barnabas, because of his decision, left the greatest servant that has ever served Jesus Christ on the planet. He decided to leave him. And so Paul chose Silas, who was a Jewish man, would come up from Jerusalem to be a part of the giving of the verification of the letter, and he departed. And notice, this is why we think the church sided with Paul, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So it seems like the church affirmed that they should go on together and had the backing. And so since we don't have a specific mention of God's guidance through this time of this conflict, let me suggest, I don't see... Uh, Paul and Barnabas praying about it. I don't see the Holy Spirit speaking to them directly. We are left to conclude that just, this was simply human failure. Because we don't have anything in the scripture that says the Spirit guided this, I think simply put, we can say this safely because they were not perfect, they failed. In the heat of the moment, they divided. And what could they have done differently? And what could we do differently in the heat of the moment? Well, we could say, you know what, time out. Let's wait. Let's pray about this. You know, one of the things I would give you as a principle in terms of basic guidance of God is if you don't have a clear indicator from God, wait, wait. Now, these guys were already serving God. They're already in gospel ministry and God's making little adjustments, obviously. But if you're in a conflict, sometimes the best thing to do is say, hold on, let's give this a little bit of time. In marriage, you have to anticipate conflict. Y'all know that, right? Conflict is going to come If you say you have never argued with your spouse, I want to find out what vitamins you both take, okay? I don't think that happens, right? We have to, but how you deal with conflict. Now, some people want to settle it right now. We are going to talk about this and somebody's following somebody else up the stairs, right? We're going to talk about it. We're going to work this out right now. And there's other people who are runners, right? And they slam the door and they lock it. They put the chair there. No, I'm not talking now. So you have to find some middle ground. I'll meet you in two hours for a cup of tea at the kitchen table. Okay? Something like that. That's wisdom. But in the heat of the moment, apparently they didn't pray, they didn't seek counsel, and all of a sudden they split from each other. And how many bad decisions have we made in the heat of the moment? Right? Where all of a sudden, you know, it's all, uh, you know, we're all angry and hot, and we say something stupid, and then we got to pick up the pieces from there. You know, but God is faithful. And I think the application is that God is going to guide through difficult circumstances even when they split from each other. I will give you a modern face of this. Church splits. Uh, You're sitting in a church building, by the way, that was the result of a split uh, in the 1960s one uh, group of people in a Baptist church decided that they would split off from another group of people in an older Baptist church in Corona, came to this corner and put this chapel up as a result of a split. 
I know you've never heard of church splits in Baptist churches and other churches for that matter. It happens, folks. But what does God do when things like this happen? Well, now there's two churches in the city. Now, here's the bad part, though. It's often ugly. There's often residual messes to clean up for years. And even though God guides us through our failures, and we maybe learn more about depending on God through our failures than we do through our successes, I don't recommend looking to fail so that you can experience more uh, God lessons. I, I don't think that's the way to do it. Well, if God teaches us the most through our failures, then I guess I'll just fail. Don't do that. See, as I've gone on in years, I will tell you this. Uh, failure can teach you a lot, but there's a lot of bumps and bruises and messes in failure. So why not just listen to God's voice and slow it down and say, wait a minute. There's got to be a voice of reason that just says, you know what, let's stop. Now here's the good news. Silas, who uh, was brought into Paul's ministry, was a Roman citizen, Acts 16.37, beneficial. He was a prophet, Acts 15.32. He probably spoke Greek, Acts 15.22 and 32. He served as Paul's stenographer, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, even for Peter in 1 Peter 5.12. The absence of Barnabas was a great loss, but the addition of Silas was a great gain. So sometimes in life what happens is we, we lose somebody, maybe they move away, and we never could have imagined doing life or ministry without them, but then God brings somebody else into our path. God is gracious that way. And he can even heal our wounds through the presence of new faces in our lives. And sometimes we're, we're tempted to give up. Oh, this is never gonna, I'm never going to have a friend like this again. I'm never going to have you know, a pastor who knows me like this again. And God has a way of ministering in that way. Here's a second thought. Uh, Timothy would become one of Paul's dearest partners in ministry and life. It is hard not to conclude that Timothy was God's provision to take the place of Mark on the team. Timothy was both Greek and Jewish, as we'll see in a moment. He could be effective in reaching both groups, which was Paul's heart, and becoming a bridge to keep the wall down between Jew and Gentile. Mark was a bit uh, undependable at this time. Timothy was on fire, well spoken of, and Timothy steps into that gap. So God can guide us through failure and conflict. He can clean up the pieces. He can cause both parties to move to fruitful ministry and even bring new people into our lives that are beneficial for us. God is gracious. Amen? I've seen this happen over my lifetime. I'm sure you've seen the same as well. Maybe you're in a spot right now where you're, you're in the middle of transition. And you're wondering, God, you know, is it going to be like this again? And, and in time, God may show you new things about his faithfulness. 41. And so he, Paul, along with Silas, was traveling through Syria In Cilicia, remember now, they're retracing their steps to go strengthen these churches, strengthening the churches. And I'm sure they read the encouraging letter of the outcome of the council. I'm sure they were making sure that they knew this false doctrine that was going around. I'm sure they were teaching and getting leaders more grounded. And he, Paul, 16.1 now, came to Derby, came also to Derby and Lystra, continuing to move now and retrace their steps. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Here's the second principle, getting more specific. God's guidance can guide us through less than 
the best circumstances or less than perfect circumstances. In this case, now Paul comes into this area of Lystra and he meets a man named Timothy. He's probably a late teenager or in his early 20s. Timothy has a Jewish mom but a Greek dad. The evidence is that there's no synagogue in Lystra and because there's a contrast between his believing mother, look at verse 1, his mother was a believer but... End of verse 1, his father was a Greek. The conclusion is that dad was an unbeliever. Now, I can't tell you how many times over my time in pastoral ministry I've watched a single woman, uh, that is, she's coming singly to church. She's married to an unbelieving husband. So she comes with her children and often her grandchildren because hubby is nowhere on the radar. He's an unbeliever. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. We as believers are always wrestling with questions about God's will. You know, God closing doors and opening doors and us discerning all of that and and if we feel like we've gotten a prompting from the Holy Spirit or you know maybe some of you have had a dream or maybe you think you've had a vision and, and you're like you know what do I do with that how do I validate or verify that kind of thing sometimes you just have to make a conclusion and you know I, th- I think we've all noticed this about God that uh, sometimes he just asks us to take a step of faith and push on doors and we don't always get all the information up front And so the Apostle Paul, uh, along with the others, concluded that they were supposed to go and and preach the gospel, and and we see how God works. So I just want to make some application points here about what do you do when you're trying to uh, discern or decide what God's will is. Here's some quick things. One, uh, start with the scripture. Make sure that you are properly interpreting the scripture in context. Uh, Two, obviously bathe the whole thing in prayer. It's, it's very important that we seek the face of God and ask that we hear from him and be open to hearing from him. Uh, three, get godly counsel. In the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And so go to other strong believers. I'm not talking about you know, picking up a secular magazine or calling a talk show or something like that, a secular talk show. I'm talking about you know, go to trusted spiritual leaders. You might call a Christian radio show, uh, that's one way, but go to people who know you, people who can pray for you, people who can, you know, bathe the situation in prayer for, for, for some time. And, you know, God is rarely in a hurry that I can tell, so, you know, you may need to slow it down a little bit and try to collect the facts and place this before the Lord and just make sure that he's in it. You know, sometimes God will give us little confirmations. They can be from people, they can be circumstantial. Those are things I would put on my list as well. They would be on the lower part of my list, but they'd still be there. I would look for little indications that uh, the Lord is uh, prompting this action. And so that's the way I think that you try to handle trying to discern God's will. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. 
and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.